Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode one of Podomania. My name is Kevin Schofield. We will be joined by my tag team partner, Sam Logan, in just, in just a little bit. Uh, right now, I just want to give you a little intro before we get into the show proper. Uh, so this is a podcast. This is obviously a wrestling podcast, um, as you probably have guessed from the title and the description. And uh, let me give you a little background on Sam and I. We'll get into our backgrounds a little uh, more in-depth later. But, uh, you know, we are just two fans, uh, two friends. Um, I've been into wrestling for a long time. Uh, Sam, uh, apparently, has been off and on with wrestling. And in our entire friendship, it was only recently that uh, we started talking about wrestling. Uh, I had no idea he was into it, and he I, th- I think he was aware that I was into it, um, but, uh, you know, it was just wasn't a thing we talked about. We talked about Shakespeare. We talked about performing in the theater. We were both actors. We talked about uh, favorite TV shows, you know, problems with DC Comics, live, ad- live action adaptation movies. Uh, things like that. Um, but we never really talked about wrestling. And then once we did, we just kept talking because we're both the only person we have to talk about wrestling to other than strangers on the internet. And we all know, we all know, uh, how strangers on the internet are. They're wonderful, fine, fine people with kind hearts and, uh, it's a joy to talk to them. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, don't, we're not experts. Uh, we're not even like hardcore, hardcore fans. Uh, but this was recorded about a month ago in the um, in the real heart of shelter in place due to coronavirus, and we just um, you know I th- we never stated this outright, but in a way wanted a podcast that was two friends with a shared interest hanging out. Because uh, there's a lot of that we can't really do now, um, at least in person. Uh, so we wanted to kind of uh, bring that, as well as, you know, just two friends getting to talk wrestling. And we figured we might as well record it and uh, share it and see if anyone else has any interest. So without further ado, uh, please enjoy our first episode of Potomania. And welcome to episode one of Potomania. I am Kevin. This is, I'm here with my good friend, Sam. Hello, everybody. (laughs) And um, we are here to unveil before you, the listening audience, the first ever wrestling specific podcast on the internet oh um as far as i'm as far as i know um i believe i've done my research and i don't i don't think there's another podcast that talks wrestling no um i remember when we talked about this we almost wanted to call this uh 
this podcast uh, Lewis and Clark because we are blazing trails. We are. And, uh, you know, I want to give us a pat on the back uh, because I, I believe we're being pioneers here mm-hmm. and going out into uh, the, the wrestling world fandom uh, is almost non-existent online, uh, especially Twitter and oh, yeah. uh, definitely in podcast world. And I figure maybe we can say, hey, wrestling fans, come out of the come out of the shadows and start engaging online. Yes. Let uh, <laughs> be heard along with ours. Create um, hashtag. <laughs> you know, there are so many wrestling podcasts um, out there. And, but me and Sam are, have been really good friends for a while. Um, and we just randomly, I don't know how we got start, started talking about wrestling at some point. Um, well, it's one of those things where I, I think it only makes sense that we, that we record this because we've started to, ever since I got the network, I've been rewatching stuff and you're my go-to for, it's like, uh, to make sense of all this. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, well, why don't we, you know, while we're at it, why don't we just record it? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. So this will, we, we've tried to put some format to it. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, it's just us talking wrestling. <laughs> uh, it's just yeah. two friends talking wrestling. So, um, uh, so let's, for those who don't know us, um, kind of learn who we are. Uh, Sam, tell everyone who you are. When did you get into wrestling? And uh, yeah. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Sam Logan. I'm a potomaniac. And... Uh, <laughs> Um, uh, my first intro into, into wrestling, uh, I was ooh, doing the math here. I had to have been maybe, maybe, maybe six or seven, mm. uh, had to have been around that area. Cause my earliest memories of wrestling was, uh, sitting there on the, I think it was on the bed somewhere watching, um, Hulk Hogan and, uh, being really worried that he had hurt his back uh, oh. again, earthquake. Oh, and I was like, "Oh no, oh no, he's gone!" And uh, a tugboat coming on on the TV telling us that we need to write to him uh, to let him know, you know, to let him know that uh, you know that all the fans care about him, and not that the WWF wants my uh, information. Yeah, they certainly uh, don't want to send you lots of things to get your parents to buy you stuff right so that's my earliest memory that and really he's the hulk hogan is the iconic figure that hooked that got me hooked into wrestling how about how about uh well me uh i'm kevin schofield for those who don't know um and uh i i really don't remember i i've just always kind of been aware of wrestling it's always it was always on um i'm a younger brother my so my older brother started watching it and it was just always on and then you know when i went to school you know that's when all the kids were talking about it and that was you know it was like the early 90s when i started like really becoming aware of it and kind of making a part of my routine to like watch it um and you know, I was aware of like Hulk Hogan and Macho Man and all the 
all the all the 80s stars um but it it was watching uh the heartbreak kid Shawn michaels um bret hart um stone cold steve austin was a few years away uh but kind of that era where they were at the top of the card in the then wwf um that that i kind of remember really hooking on um and then and then i remember just very distinctly i i i don't remember the build up to it i just remember turning on and realizing oh there's this other show wcw nitro mm -hmm. and uh diesel who i haven't seen on tv and razor ramon who i hadn't seen on tv in a really long time were on there but as you know bad guys and they had different names and i was like what, what what's this and i don't um and that kind of really is the combination because i remember watching I would watch one, I would watch Nitro because it was on at eight and I had to mm -hmm. go to bed at nine. Yep. So on Mondays, my parents let me stay up a little bit longer so I could see the beginning of Raw. And yep. so I would record, I could only record one of the shows. So I'd watch the first hour of Nitro and decide, do I want to record the rest of Nitro or do I want to, when I watch the first couple minutes of Raw, do I want to then tape all of Raw? And it was kind of back and forth each week, which one I wanted to watch. And this was the dawn of the internet. So I remember just looking up on very primitive, like GeoCities websites uh, for, you know, what happened on each show the previous night. Uh, so I could have something to talk about to my friends at recess. Um, so, and then it's, you know, once Stone Cold Steve Austin became a big thing and The Rock and, you know, they, that kind of really cemented it for me as a thing I was into. Um, uh, so, yeah, that's kind of my background. Uh, I never kind of got out. I mean, kind of moving on. Um, uh, I watch wrestling now and I have for a really long time. Um, I did have a moment where I kind of stopped watching. Um, and that was kind of maybe 2003, 2004. Um, it's also when I got into high school and I was more concerned with you yeah. know, getting dates and right. <laughs> fitting in and wrestling kind of wasn't the big thing on the mind. Um, yeah, that's a trend. It's, uh, I think that's a lot of people's timeline, similar to uh, everybody who likes Saturday Night Live. Their favorite cast is whenever it occurred, whenever they watched in like junior high. Yeah. And high school is also the time when you stop watching wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, that's definitely a, a trend. Um, but I never, I never became so dissociated from it that I didn't know what was going on. I didn't watch all the time, but a few times in the year I'd check back in and be like, Oh, what's happening? You know, I, you know, something big happened on Raw or SmackDown, and that 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 was also that also co co coincides with WCW going out of business and you know WWF losing their their lawsuit to the World Wildlife Fund yeah. and having to change it to the WWE, 
which I've learned to say on command now. But <laughs> still, no matter how often I can automatically just say WWE um, without thinking about it, anytime I hear it, I think that that's kind of wrong, isn't it? That's, that sounds wrong. Because um, there were so many fans of the World Wildlife uh, Foundation. Oh, I know. There are billions and billions of fans of the oh. World Wildlife Foundation. They, they, they love that panda logo. Uh, you, know. uh, you can't um, have that. It were huge. <laughs> you forgot about the, uh, you know, Friday night uh, wars between uh, them and Animal Planet. Yeah. I, uh, forgot, I can't believe I forgot. Thank you. That's... Uh, <laughs> They can't lose uh, that. Yeah. Uh, I did get back into watching as a regular fan. I think, oh, I don't know. Um, 2010 or so, I started um, really kind of looking back into it. That's also when I graduated college um, uh, into the great world of post-college unemployment and I had a lot of time on my hands. So I started watching wrestling again um, and like really watching it, watching it. Um, and then it kind of kicked into high gear when the WWE network came about. Um, and I was like, wait a minute, $9.99 a month and I get to watch all the pay-per-views and WrestleMania. I originally signed up just to watch that year's WrestleMania, which I forget which one it was. Um, and I was going to cancel it afterwards. So I didn't have to pay. That's uh, how they get yeah, but then I was like, you know what? I'm just, no, I'll, I'll just keep watching. So that's kind of how I got hooked back in. Um, did you ever have a moment where you stopped watching and when and how and when did you start watching again? Yeah, I, um, it was a weird thing where, because I, um, I would catch it, you know, on a, on a Saturday as a kid and I would, I would know what's going on. And I remember knowing, um, I, I remember knowing up until probably up through, I want to say, Oh yeah. And I remember we would, we would, uh, this was back in the days we would rent the, uh, the VHSs. Oh, yes. Um, my brothers would, uh, yeah. So really a lot of the wrestling was, was connected to me and my brothers. And this is going to be a running theme. Um, so, because I distinctly remember watching it through, um, I think it was like WrestleMania 8. Mm. The big thing was, oh no, this, the, that Hogan was, uh, that he's thinking of uh, retiring. And Vince McMahon has to uh, thank him for Hulkamania. Yeah. Uh, and that was, that was probably, that was probably the last bit of wrestling that i saw for a while until again uh related to my brothers my brother adam his friend from college uh, came and visited and he had uh raw magazine with him with stone cold on the cover. oh yeah yeah and he was visiting for like a week and it was a monday so of course we were going to watch monday night raw mm. and wcw i was like what i i wrestling still going on and this is like uh <laughs> I want to say it's like 1996, 1997. Ah, oh, right. Okay. This, we're in the the heat of the Monday Night Wars, and my my mind is blown. I'm I'm like, uh, I want to say I'm like 
12 or 13 or something like that. Yeah. And it's crazy. Hogan's a bad guy and he's yeah. not and they, <laughs> on the WWF anymore. Uh, WWF is doing a bunch of crazy stuff I've never seen. Mm-hmm. And it's, for me, it's like, this is like, this is incredible. This is like a movie every week. Yeah. I, I mean, I know it's fake, but they're doing it so well that I, I have to know what happens next. Mm-hmm. It's so compelling. And, and for me, it, that's what hooked me back in. Um, for a while, I was after, one, once I was introduced to it, I was hooked in once uh, the Rock Stone Cold rivalry had me going. Yeah. I was a huge Rock. And he, I was... I pretty much wrote out The Rock until until he, I want to say WrestleMania, what, 19? Mm. Uh, whenever, whenever The Rock lost, uh, whenever The Rock uh, beat uh, Hogan was probably the last WrestleMania that I, that I paid attention to. I believe and that then, was WrestleMania X8. Yeah. Which is the appropriate way to pronounce it for some reason. X8. Yeah. They didn't want it to be 18. They wanted it to be X8. Yeah. <laughs> so that was probably the, yeah. Though I have vague memories of the, of the terrible uh, brand. Uh, <laughs> the the brand, whole. The, the yeah. original brand split. Yeah. Well, the, the WCW. Uh, oh, the invasion storyline. That was, uh, yeah. it was, a, it was about as successful as the Bay of Pigs. It was. It was just not I'd good. I'd say the Bay of Pigs might have accomplished a little bit more than it had more right. lasting effects than you know. Hey, everyone, remember Buff Bagwell? Now he's on Monday Night Raw, <laughs> and now he's not. Right. Because Buff is not the stuff anymore. Like you got Booker T. You like Booker T. Well, here he is. Here he is. We'll have Triple H make some vague, vaguely racist uh, comments to him, and then we'll build up this rivalry. And then instead of having uh, Booker T overcome at WrestleMania this this terrible villain, we'll have him lose to the terrible villain, and then never give him an opportunity to get the win back, and just kind of let it, you know, drizzle out right. <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, because Triple H really needs to win. Yeah, now that I remember, I think I do remember watching when after yeah when Stone Cold had his whole uh, his whole heel turn that I just thought was terrible. Oh, that was terrible! It was so terrible. It, that, it had some good point parts to it, but overall, it was terrible. Yeah, I yeah because I re I went and re I went the thing was that caught me back what has brought me back into wrestling now was the was the network I've been catching up. And there was actually a few spots there where Steve Austin is a talented guy. Like he oh, yeah. of a great sense of humor and he was trying something new. And so I can't fault him for wanting to do something new and he did some interesting stuff there. But yeah, he wanted to show I, that he's more than just what you've seen. He he's funny, he can he can do the comedy, he can he can do the kind of awkward bits, he can make you laugh he can do different catchphrases he can hit his wife um oops am i not oh sorry i forgot this is wrestling we're not supposed to comment on the on that part right yeah 
Sorry, I'm the biggest Stone Cold Steve Austin fan. But it, but I feel like it seems like he's kind of cleaned up his life a little better. And he's kind yeah. of distanced himself from who he was when that happened. But I feel like the wrestling world, because we love him so much, have kind of collectively decided to forget that that was a thing. <laughs> you know? So yeah, I have to well, bring it up every once in a while, just to bring people down a little. Yeah, yeah. well... <laughs> Well, they all can't be as perfect as Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because he's never... Great human being. Yeah. Yeah, so so great to the minorities and... Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, yeah. You forgot about the uh, the four demandments? Yeah. Say your prayer. <laughs> Take your vitamins. Do the training. And make sure nobody records you saying the N-word. Yes. Although, if they do, make sure you got a lawyer because... You can sue the crap out of the company that chooses to publicize it. Yeah. <laughs> and make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And put an entire business and all its employees out of it. Out of, out of. So. So, anyway. All right. So, moving on. Um, um, I mean, before we get into our main event here, um, what just general question, what is it that you love about wrestling? Do we love about wrestling? Well, for me, uh, now, what it, well, what it used to be was, was the, I guess, just the grandeur in the event and just being caught up in the suspension of disbelief yeah. and involved in the actual storylines. Did you ever have a moment where you were like, it's not fake, this is real? Oh, or yeah. Did you always know, like, no, this isn't real. I'm just enjoying it for what it is. There was, uh, I always, you know, there's always a thing in the back of your head where you, you know, you think it's, you know, you think it's fake, but then like, uh, when they were like bleeding, that's suddenly when you have the debate of, wait a minute, they can't just. Who would do this this, on purpose? Right. This has got to be real, man. Or, you know. Yeah. When it got like, especially brutal, it was like, oh no, he's really hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, uh, but, and, but the appeal for me now, um, is I see it as a as a form of theater that I find incredibly impressive, uh, especially for the guys who kind of go out there that don't do it um, as a like a move set that you have planned, but the the wrestlers that go out there and react to the crowd and modify their match yeah. accordingly. That I find really impressive. It, it's it's the it really is a high form of theater where they're improvising, but they're doing it athletically. Yeah, and I mean, best example of that that I was that anytime someone likes to bring up like in a down in a down kind of fashion about the um, the ability of these people of of these athletes to improvise and all that all that stuff you said is. You know what we were just talking about WrestleMania X8 with mm-hmm. The Rock and Hogan. It was in Toronto. Hogan was Hollywood Hogan. He was NWO bad guy Hogan. Uh, mm-hmm. Rock was the People's Champ. Um, you know he was like, "Hey, you turned your back on us, and you know I'm gonna stand up for everything that you know we loved you for." You know, um, and as soon as the match starts, everyone is booing the crap out of good guy rock everyone loves the rock back then everyone loved him 
everywhere he went. But on this night, everyone booed him. Everyone cheered everything Hogan was doing. And they had to improvise on the fly because otherwise, because the end of the match was Rock wins. Yeah. And they were like, we don't want Rock to get booed out of the building. We got to do something. And Hogan kind of, I mean, say what you want about him. He kind of took the lead. He kind of walked through uh, the Rock in terms of what we need to do now to make this match work. And you you watch that match and you see them changing. You see the Rock eventually kind of doing heelish bad guy things as the match goes on to kind of get his edge back and get the crowd on his side. And they kind of do. They get back on his side. And then, you know, the match is just wonderful. And to see that kind of improvisation, I mean, I agree. That's, that's kind of why I love it now. Um, I did grow up thinking, this is real. This is all real. Um, you know, I, I didn't know how to explain, like, The Undertaker. Like, oh, yeah, that, that's an undead Undertaker who's also kind of a weird wizard zombie. And What's there to... For some reason, decided to get into the wrestling business. He's an Undertaker. When he got magic powers. What's the... Uh, understand what the, where the confusion is. He's an Undertaker, and he kicks butt. Like every Undertaker does. Yes, like every Undertaker we know. Every cemetery where the guys are, you know, digging the graves or taking care of the bodies, they're all large jack dudes who don't say much and keep and end every, you know, conversation with rest in peace. Yeah, and they roll their eyes in the back of their head, you know. Uh, but so, I, I mean, I knew, I knew there were some things about it that had to be faked. I thought, like, you know... Okay, they, you know, the they may pre-plan who's going to win, but you know the 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 actual match that's real. All the things they're doing is real, or you know, everything's planned, but except for the championships, those are real. Oh yeah, um, and then slowly everyone, I, I was as the evidence started to stack up against me, I was like, I started to quite, I just avoid the question altogether. I was just buying into it. I was like, it just entertains me. I kind of don't care. Yeah. Um, and then once the cat all came out of the bag, I was like fascinated. So, similar to you about like, wait a minute, all this violence, all the blood, all the, you know, all the big over the top stunts is, first of all, it's real in the sense of that's a real body going through a real table onto a real platform, you know. Yep made of wood that's a real chair made of steel uh you know smashing into a real person's head yeah uh, when they cut themselves to bleed that's real blood that's a real cut um but they're doing it out of a sense of performance it was it's just such an odd combination of like a rock show a stunt show um you know a, you know a, a, a fight and an action movie all in one it was it, it it fascinated me this idea of people doing this um as a performance um it just fascinated me um and that's kind of and, and the storylines and the stories really when they're good it's amazing when wrestling yeah. is good 
mm -hmm. it is better than most things you see on on TV or in the movie. Um, it it'll really get you. Um, mm. And that actually brings us to our main event for today. Uh, ding ding ding. Ding ding. Um, <laughs> Um, I should get sound effects for next time. Um, oh, hold on. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So our main event, our uh, topic for this first episode is favorite storyline. Um, so, um, and we didn't really put any restrictions on this. We were just... Um, favorite storyline involving whoever and, you know, so Sam, why don't you go first and then mm -hmm. I'll go and then we'll, we'll decide who wins. All right. What, what is your favorite storyline? Uh, yeah, my, mo uh, my favorite storyline, uh, it's tough, but I went with, uh, the mega powers explode. Ah, classic. Yeah with uh the rivalry, brother yeah uh the the rivalry between uh hulk hogan and macho man randy savage mm -hmm. uh, re-watching the uh the match and not only the match but everything that led up to it uh really gave me appreciation for macho man randy savage yeah that, He's, uh, he, he sold more than slim jims <laughs> very true like he was he was incredibly intense i loved what they did with him because yeah. if you just if all you do is watch wrestlemania five all yeah. you think is hey these guys um maybe they, they were attacking partners and then they don't like each other anymore yeah. but if you go back and you watch wrestlemania four mm -hmm. and some of the things before that you actually see how they slowly are turning Macho Man from a heel to a face. They do that by having him take on um, Honky Tonk Man. Yeah. Other guys like that. Which brings me to my question. Uh, who, what, and why is Honky Tonk Man? <laughs> um, I did some research, and I guess he's a, his character is supposed to be a, a Elvis impersonator who wrestles. Uh, because, but the thing is, if he's an Elvis impersonator, why is he keeps talking about like Priscilla and all these people that are, that are connected to Elvis as if he's really Elvis? Yeah. And he can't really sing all that well. And no. when he's supposed to be a good guy, and he's just so, the gimmick never worked for me at all. It was just yeah. so, uh, but I appreciate, I appreciated how. Uh, the WWF at that time had a plan, and they had this slow build of Macho Man becoming. The story was a very slow burn, very yeah. very slow. They took their it, time with it, right? And they picked the right guy because watching it back again, uh, Randy Savage is not just a uh, uh, a guy who's acting pretty intense. This guy is an athlete. He yeah. was an oh, athlete. He is, some guys are, you know, are, uh, are walking around that ring. He is sprinting from hook to post, rope to rope. When you go back and you watch WrestleMania 4, that is his, where he earns your respect. 
Oh yeah. He, he's wrestled like three or four times that night. Mm-hmm. And million million dollar man, you know, gets a bye. And he and so Macho Man's already wrestled a bunch of times and he takes on DiBiase in the main event for the belt. And so by that time, you were rooting for this guy. And you don't know if he's gonna do it. Because the million dollar man, he's already bought off Andre. He's a schemer. You mm-hmm. think um in just the classic sense of villains that you can't wait to see go down, but you also that he's so I don't know, conniving or scheming that he might pull this off, that he might yeah. win the belt. Shouldn't. So when and when Hogan comes in there and helps him out and he wins the belt, this is a great moment. Yeah. And so so you're rooting for Randy, and Randy has been built up from being uh, from a heel to a face to a legit champ. Yeah. Who yeah. you want to succeed, who you put on par with Hulk Hogan at this time. He's practically mm-hmm. saying, hey, we're the same. And yeah. actually, which brings me up to my, my other favorite thing, their weird handshake. Oh, God. The tag team of the Mega Powers. Oh, my God, yeah. And that is the weirdest handshake I've ever seen. Has, go back and rewatch that because it's like, oh, ooh, ooh, ee, oh. Uh, it's they so wanted to put as much testosterone into a handshake as possible. Two grown men doing that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, you know, every, their face is in full motion, but their hands are in slow motion. Because they're afraid we're gonna miss it. Um, So yeah, in this idea of the madness, which apparently is a good thing, uh, (laughs) in this context, uh, and Hulkamania shaking hands uh, may be too much, and so they do this as a as you know symbolizing that they're forming a tag team. So everyone knows about that. Rewatch their tag team matches; they do it during the match. Yeah. <laughs> they do. I thought, what? Is this like some sort of like, you know, power up thing? Like, okay, we're both tired. Let's put our hands together, brother. Yeah. <laughs> oh, weird. So weird. Um, so, so there's that. But what I like about this, again, is the slow build. And they put in these little things, and I'm not even close to the first person to notice this is that they put in these little moments in all the in the pay-per-views at survivor series and at uh SummerSlam. uh i want to say it's just the previous pay-per-views as they're going along they have all these moments that that give you a reason for macho man to doubt hulk hogan and yeah. to doubt and to make him think that he's really after elizabeth yeah it, his it's, wife and manager yeah but they do it, but they do it in a subtle way that if you're not looking for it, you'll miss it. That yeah. and Randy's reaction, and, is, and Randy's reactions too. If I may, like his, he does such a good job at like building his reactions slowly. Yeah. Like the more and more it happens, it, it, like it's more, it's really realistic that like, oh, he notices a few times. What was what was that? Okay. And then, and then slowly it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, yeah. and you see him going mad, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> the madness actually starts to become mad, so to speak. Yeah. 
I mean, this is just, this is kind of what some of modern wrestling, and at least from what I've seen, is kind of missing, is kind of the subtlety. Yeah. Uh, a few years ago, the uh, Kevin Owens and uh, uh, Chris Jericho did a really long, did their version, it's a year storyline. Mm-hmm. It was a very similar storyline of, you know, Chris Jericho is like, he's the old guy and he's the legend and Kevin Owens is this young, new, hot prospect. He's the new universal champion. And they're both on top. And Chris Jericho's like, this is my best friend, Kevin Owens. And Kevin Owens has this history of turning on his best friends. Um, and they teased it over and over again. To make uh-huh. it like, you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. And it never happened. So after a year of it, you're thinking, okay, maybe it's just not going to happen. Uh, maybe they're just going to keep writing this. And they have this huge festival of friendship where, you know, Chris Jericho does this huge thing to celebrate his friendship with his best friend, Kevin Owens, and then Owens destroys him. And it leads to a match that was a little underwhelming at WrestleMania, but they got the unenviable spot of going on second. They should have been in the main event or one of the main events, but they got pushed on the card all the way to two, which is, if you're not going to be last, you should be first. Yep. Um, and I listened to Busted Open uh, radio uh, with uh, Dave LaGreca and uh, Bully Ray uh, of the Dudley Boys. Um, and, and Bully Ray always has this, this thing where he says, if you, if you can't go on last, go on first. It's like, if you can't be rock and roll all night and party, uh, party every day from Kiss, then be Detroit Rock City that opens it. Um, yeah, just don't be Beth. Just don't be, yeah, don't be number, don't be the second one on. Because all the energy from the first one kind of dips as people start getting into it. And yeah. two, the second match is always kind of a lull. And that storyline was a great storyline, similar to the superpowers. Explode kind of gotten that, so they, they didn't stick the ending very well. Unfortunately. Yeah. The way that they they superpowers really really they were very careful with it and very you could tell they were being really patient and guarding the story as it went along yeah they they knew what story they wanted to tell which is helpful um and what i liked was how they too made you think okay maybe this isn't going to happen because at the royal rumble mm-hmm. they shake yeah. that okay they're going to be buddies again, and the crowd loves it um, because they like both these both these characters. Yeah. But then, of, of course, things explode later on yeah. in the tag, and uh, Macho goes nuts and delivers maybe his best, maybe his best in character moment. Yeah. Uh, when he just goes off on Hogan and the whole "Ooh, the rise." I mean, he's just so good how he just goes off on Hogan and the scene there where it's Elizabeth on the gurney and he's like, and, and Hogan going, you gotta, you gotta talk some sense into him. And it's just yeah. great. Raw, it's crazy. Um, the thing that it, I love about it too is it's like two, it's really hard when you have two big stars like that. The instant like thing in a fan is that you want to do is, oh, I want to see this, those two fight harder thing to do is to get two big stars on the same level and get the audience to say, I hope they never fight. 
Yeah. You know, and the audience, the fans, you didn't, you didn't want to see Macho Man fight Hogan. Right. And, and you see this friendship falling apart. Yeah. 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 That with, um, along with, uh, Miss Elizabeth as yeah. the, and that the falls apart too. Yeah. Uh, which she did a great job with uh, her role of, you know, uh, her whole uh, uh, storyline with the Macho Man was like the, the WWF's uh, closest thing to uh, a streetcar named Desire. Oh, where, yeah. Where mm-hmm. she just keeps going back to this abusive guy. Mm-hmm. And it is, I think it was, I think it was pretty incredible how they, the fans rewatching uh, WrestleMania 5 the biggest pops that, that actually happen aren't early on when it's uh, Hogan and Macho Man in the ring facing each other. It's when Macho Man turns on Elizabeth after she tries to help him. He yeah. um, hits her. That's one of the biggest pops of, the, of that match is, no, 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 no. Yeah. At, because that's where the storyline is. Yeah. It's all three of them. And once all three of them are involved, the crowd mm-hmm. Um, that was the thing that kind of surprised me is that, I mean, they're as far as um, crowd excitement gets maintained from bell to bell. Yeah. There in the entrance, but once the match started, the crowd wasn't necessarily at a fever pitch. Like, you know, some of like, let's say WrestleMania three was at the entire time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but once, once things get going and Randy gets going with his run around Hogan's cut himself, and mm-hmm. then, Macho Man lands the elbow, and you can feel yeah. it. Believe that's it, that's because it. nobody got up from the elbow. Yeah, and that's also what's really when finishing moves actually matters. Yes, back when finishing you finishing moves were actually important. Oh, now today it's just like, okay, how many finishing moves is it going to take to put this person down? Right. It, back then uh, it was like you do one. It's like, oh, that's it. That's it. Nowadays, it's like, oh, my God, he did a super kick. Now what? Yeah. Yeah. Is it a false finish? Is it Okay, false finish. All right, another super kick. Okay, mm-hmm. that one didn't work. Okay, now he's going to do elbow, pile driver, super kick, and false finish. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing is I, oh, I do miss the, I do miss it when finishers used to be. Finishers. Oh, like they finished yeah. the match. Right. Yeah. Oh, so when Hogan kicks out of the elbow, that's good yeah. theater. That's good storytelling. Yeah. Because then when Hogan is doing his whole hulking up thing, that is at this point at WrestleMania, yeah, WrestleMania 5, it's pretty, it's, I don't think people have quite burnt out on it yet, but yeah. it's out of nowhere. People yeah. as understand it as a thing um but it's still i think it's still on the uh ascent as opposed to the decline uh not this old thing so when he does that after the finisher macho man's finisher people are going nuts and and that and once uh and hogan you know puts him away with the boot and leg drop then crowd goes nuts culmination of a story oh yeah yeah all this that, with- story, that actually the, the miss elizabeth part and macho man that story even continues past the match too yep 
all yeah, the way that, till I forget, I forget when the match is, but I, I, think, I think it's seven. Yeah. Where it's like he that, loses the yeah, match he, against the ultimate warrior. Yeah. Or his yeah. And he's, he's done. He's in the ring. He lost everything. And then Elizabeth is watching and everyone in the crowd is like, go to him. Yep. And you want them to make up, and they do. And it ends with he's lifting her up on his shoulders and like finger in the air. And it's like, yeah, just this triumphant love has conquered all. He lost the match, but he, he ran out of there as if he won. Yeah. Uh, because he you wants know. something more important. And all of that is able to work because of this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's incredible because yeah, he loses the match. Not only did he lose the match, he's retiring. That's his. That's his. Yeah. Lose. Quote unquote retiring. And then you, and then you, uh, you know, you're supposed to be done. He yeah. loses the. So he's supposed to be just done. And this is after he's already pushed Miss Elizabeth away. He's with Scary Sherry. Yeah, and Sherry turns his her back on him. Right. And so I mean, this, yeah. In defeat, she like. Kicks him while he's down, right? So you um, get the hurt dog thing, and so now any kind of anger you had for Savage goes away, and you're just kind of like, "Oh, poor guy!" Like, yeah, you don't want to see that, right? Yeah, yeah. So it it's incredible, and I uh, I tell you, yeah, that that moment is is amazing. Because it's so genuine, also because you know that they're a real life couple that went yeah. through quite a bit of their own real drama. Yeah, they so, had a lot of drama too. Yeah. So a lot of that is there, I think, in the moment. It's pretty real. Oh yeah, yeah. So even watching that back, it's hard not to kind of tear up, even though. Yeah. You know it's you know it's all rehearsed, but I mean yeah. that you cut to that poor sucker in the crowd who's just bawling. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like any good movie. Like it's all rehearsed, it's all fake, but. You know, when John Wick's dog gets killed, Oof. oh, do I get upset? I know Oof. the dog is in real life is fine. I mean, by now the dog's probably dead because it's probably really old. But sag <laughs> after a dog, he's fine. I'm, I'm like, like those. Mm, you gotta go kill him, and <laughs> it's it's like any any good any good movie or anything like that. You know, yeah, it really hooks into you. Yeah, um, and. That yeah, so it's I I just I do love that. That's the when you when you mentioned that that was the first thing that came to mind. I was like, yeah, that classic storytelling. That's a good one. I, when I when we made this uh, our topic, I honestly had many ideas on which one I wanted to choose, mm -hmm. um, and ultimately I came down. It, it was hard to pick one, but I came down to the storyline. Um, essentially the building of the NWO storyline from WCW. Yeah. Um, it's just, to me, it has so much going into it. And there's so much stuff that was planned so perfectly. And there's so much stuff that like they didn't plan and they just got lucky yep. that it worked out. As you see later on, years go by as they're continuing with the NWO they're trying stuff and just pull up. Um, 
but I mean, and I went back and I tracked like the history of this. Like, so, I mean, for those unfamiliar, which is probably only like a few people, um, right. the NWO, the New World Order was a bad guy faction in WCW in the 90s. It became mm-hmm. the hottest thing in the business. Yep. Um, you ju- you saw, and to me, to this day, you go to a wrestling event, you're going to see an NWO shirt somewhere. Yeah. Not a lot of them. Um, right. No matter the brand. Yeah. They they changed they, they were awesome. And the original three members of the NWO was Scott Hall, who was known in the WWF at the time as Razor Ramon, Kevin Nash, who was known as Diesel in the WWF, and Hulk Hogan, who was their surprise third member and leader. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little prologue to this. Hogan signed with W. So he left WWF and he was going to pursue a film career. Um, and WCW is able to um, lure him away from Hollywood and get them because WCW is losing a lot of money. Eric Bischoff's the new man, the new um, you know executive there uh, under Ted Turner to try and turn around the company. And he thinks if I sign Hogan, things will turn around. Hogan gets given a check with a lot of zeros on it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, sure. And he signs with them in June of 1994. He's 41 years old. So I want everyone to remember that. Because <laughs> now, I, I remember seeing online, someone was pitching the idea of like, oh, you could never do Cena going heel now. He's too old and he's out of the business and he's off to Hollywood. And then you realize, oh, he's around the same age Hogan was when Hogan turned heel and extended his career for another, like, decade or so. Yeah. Not longer. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, anyway. Um, he came to WCW and almost immediately was put in the championship bout with Ric Flair, the famous... You know, Ric Flair was in the WWF for like one year. And in that year, he never, uh, they were teasing him and Hogan at a WrestleMania. And then mm-hmm. different sides differ on why it never happened, but it never happened. Yeah. Uh, but as a soon as he, ha- yeah. Because it's eight, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it didn't work. Yeah. So, um, and it never happened. Uh, so as soon as Hogan gets to WCW, they're like, Let's put him with Flair, and Flair's the workhorse. Uh, unfortunately, at the t- uh, at the time, he he didn't know how to say no, and he it said a lot that like he's the only one who doesn't know he's Ric Flair, you know, <laughs> like yeah. like because at the time he was like, sure, I'll do that. I don't think it's a good idea, but I'll do it. And so he allowed himself to be put in weird positions where he's this legend, he's amazing, yeah, but he's letting people push him around. Um, so he goes into a feud with Hogan, with Hogan um, and Hogan wins at Bash of the Beach in 1994. Um, he defeated Flair again three months later in a retirement match. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. Him and Hulk, Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan in, at Halloween Havoc 1994 had a retirement match where if Flair lost, he would have to retire. And Flair lost. And as we yes. all know, he retired and never stepped foot at a wrestling ring again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think he, starting the 
the never-ending chain of Ric Flair retirements. Yeah, I think he played the. Uh, he played the. Uh, he used his uh, Terry Funk card to get himself back in. <laughs> yeah, um, Hogan in this time held the belt for about fifteen months or four hundred and sixty-nine days, which apparently is a WCW record. He held the title in that period. Jeez. Longer than anyone else in in the company's history up until it oh. went out of business. Um, no one ever eclipsed that time. And yeah, this is when he's Hulkamania Hulk Hogan. Right. Um, this isn't yep. even when he's in his power hungry. You know, I'm the biggest thing in WCW right now. I'm going to call all the shots, Hulk Hogan. Right. Um, Never mind that he's pushed out. He's basically he's come in and pushed out Sting out of the championship. Mm -hmm. uh, picture thing was also, big you know he was the guy over there right uh, he was practically neck and neck with flair at the time in wcw also if you go back yeah. and watch match with vader mm, oh yeah wants vader to win the belt yeah yeah um in oh. 95 they have the giants who we all know is netflix's own big show <laughs> then wrestling under name the giant because, you know, cashing in on Andre the Giant, and here's another guy who's really tall and big. Um, uh -huh. And uh, Hogan drops the belt to the Giant uh, at Halloween Havoc 1995 after his longtime manager, Jimmy Hart, turned on him. So uh -huh. there's that thing. And then he reforms the Mega Powers with Macho Man in 96. Right. At, an uns at uncensored the uncensored pay-per-view but then after that he wasn't on tv uh regular tv or pay-per-view until bash of the beach 1996 but i'm um, sure i say all that because it's very important for people to understand the leading up to this whole nwo situation they had hogan they ran him with the belt and as it went on for a year plus they started to realize times were changing and people were booing Hulk Hogan. People were booing Hulkamania. They didn't want to see him. The they just were tired of eat your eat your vitamins, say your prayers, you know, drink your milk. Mm -hmm. um, they were tired of it, and they were booing him out of arena after arena after arena. And he was like, he went off to do a movie because he was still trying to be a you know movie star at this point. Mm -hmm. um, Thunder and, and Paradise. This, huh? I, I can't remember when his TV show Thunder and Paradise was going on. I can't remember if that was yeah, WCW or if that was when he was in TNA at the time. I don't know. But. Uh, it was WCW. No. Okay. Um, his TV show when he was uh, the reality show, Hogan Knows Best, that was in the TNA era. Yeah. Um, and that blew up his family. For doing yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That was a terrible mistake. He, he admitted later, like, it destroyed his family. He couldn't have let cameras into his house. The one time reality TV had a, had a backlash effect on someone's life. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that brings us to 96. Scott Hall, who was wrestling in WWE at the time, uh, as Razor Ramon, his contract was coming up. And six days after him, Kevin Nash's, who's wrestling under the name Diesel, his contract comes up. They both get offers from Eric Bischoff, who's trying to get them to sign with WCW. Gives them a whole lot of money. 
it gives them a guaranteed contract saying no matter what you're making that money um because back then there was this idea of like we will give you this money if you make all these wrestling dates and they had that in there but it was also like a even if you don't make the wrestling dates we're still going to pay you this money uh which is kind of a good idea but kind of a bad idea mm-hmm. you know um but anyway and the, but the kicker was you didn't have to worry if you you could make that money they said you could make the kind of money they were going to make in WCW in WWF but you'd have to work like 300 nights a year Mm-hmm. Got to do all the house w- shows. Yeah, WCW was saying, "Hey, work half of that. You work a part-time schedule. You just work the TV dates, and that's it. We will pay you, you know, top dollar." And they were like, they went to Vince. They said, "Vince, we don't want to go, but we can't pass that up. Can you match it?" And mm-hmm. Vince McMahon was like, "I can't, because if I have to pay you, I have to pay everyone else, and I do not like paying my people." Um, something yeah. I'm sure he still says today. Uh, <laughs> um, and he actually later on said in an interview a couple of years ago said that he feels like he he really regrets that because he feels like he held it against them for so long that they left him. Yeah, uh, he was finally able to admit to himself like they left, they didn't want to go, but that kind of money. And Kevin Nash, I was actually watching the documentary earlier. Kevin Nash was with his wife, who was uh, six months pregnant. And he was like, you know, it's good money and everything. It will really set us up, you know, and you're pregnant and everything. But I just, I don't want to feel like I'm turning my back on my family in WWF. And his wife, six months pregnant, put her hand on her belly and said, that's not your family. This is your family. Yeah. And he signed with WCW. Yeah, um, I that. Yeah, you can't you can't blame him. I mean, can't blame- so they sign, and Eric Bischoff picks up with them this idea they saw in Japan about this rival faction within the company that would try and take over the company itself, and he develops it into what will eventually become the NWO. Now, mm-hmm. up to this point, Eric Bischoff every once in a while, well, he was the main commentator on WCW uh, Nitro, along with Bobby the Brain Heenan. And every once in a while, he would, because Nitro was live and a lot of Raw was taped beforehand, he would get the results and read it live on air and, you know, mock the WWF and all that. So he was, he was talking a lot of trash uh, up until this point. And so he has Scott Hall debut so after a year of Nitro being on the air, they Nitro at first was airing only one hour broadcasts. And they finally get a second hour. So they have a two hour show. Uh, in the first half of the show, it, the commentators are the team of Tony Schiavone and uh, Larry Zbysko. And in the second hour, the regular commentator of team of Bobby the Brain Heenan and Eric Bischoff come on. So on this very, and they plan this so well. You talk about like, you know, being really good with your strategy and like pinpointing the right time. They chose to debut Scott Hall in WCW for the first time ever on their first edition of Nitro that was two hours long. Mm 
and he didn't appear immediately. It was like 30 minutes or so into the, into the episode. It's in the middle of a match. And he's coming. I actually watched this episode of Nitro. They go to commercial. They come back from commercial. They welcome you. And it, as soon as they come back, they're welcoming you. And in the corner of the crowd, you see this really big dude walking down. And immediately you're like, is that, is that Razor Ramon? <laughs> like I, I could imagine being, being like, "Hold on, yeah. that looks like Razor Ramon. What's he doing at WCW?" And he yeah. comes all the way down, and they kind of don't like make a thing of it until he gets to the gate and he jumps the fence, and then they're like, "Wait a minute, what's he doing here?" And they're, they're saying, "He, he, what, 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 like they know who he is, and they're treating it as if this guy does not work for us." And he's interrupting <laughs> our show. We're live, and we don't know what to do. And he interrupts the match. The wrestlers just stop, and they go to the side because they're like, what are you doing? He clears the, the ring. The, the referee leaves. And he gets the mic, and he cuts a promo. And he says, you all know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. You know, um, billionaire Ted wants – and he cuts this promo basically saying, basically insinuating – that, hey, WCW and Ted Turner have been talking all this trash about the WWF. Well, I, Razor Ramon, he didn't say Razor Ramon because he didn't own the name. Right. He's basically saying, we, the WWF, are taking it to you and we're invading your show. And then he leaves. And they kind of act like that was really weird. Hopefully we can talk to security and nothing will happen. And then they go on with the rest of the episode as if nothing has happened. Like, they yeah. refer to it every once in a while, like, I was strange, but they never mention it again until the end of the episode. Then he appears again after the last match, in the last few minutes of the episode. He comes onto the stage where Eric Bischoff and the commentary team is at, and he confronts Eric Bischoff with another promo. And is like, hey, you've been talking trash, you've been running your mouth, and, you know, we're here to bring it to you, you know. This is where the big boys play. Well, we come to play. And he's saying, we, we. Um, and then that's it. Um, and they kind of just leave it there. It's really nice. They, like, they really wanted to treat it like the WWF was invading WCW. Mm -hmm. WWF is the bad guy. They're coming in to muscle out our guys. And they weren't saying who he was. They were treating him like if someone actually invaded your live show how would you react to it at least back then and it created this sense of like because wcw also had the big over-the-top gimmicks that wwf was doing at the time but they wanted eric bischoff wanted to take it a more realistic you know direction so he used the fact that a lot of the stuff that was happening on wcw was kind of over the top um a, it was a little more grounded in like like southern wrestling like wrestling yeah. Um, but it was still a little over the top. So he used that to the effect. So when he introduced Scott Hall and later Kevin Nash, it would seem like, oh, well, this stuff over here is fake, but that stuff wasn't supposed to happen. Scott Hall jumping and, you know, getting on a mic wasn't supposed to happen. Although any smart fan could think, like, why didn't they cut his mic? Why did his mic continue to work? Yeah. 
that was enough. To their credit, he ever once in a while is like, can we cut his mic? Can we get him out of here? Can we get him out of here? Um, but he doesn't. He stays until he wants to leave, basically. Um, <laughs> the following week, no Scott Hall. He doesn't appear until the very end of the, ish, uh, of the episode. And he goes up to Eric Bischoff again at the commentary and teases a big surprise that's going to come with him next week. Uh, Sting comes over and like confronts him and is like, hey, get out of here. You don't belong here. And they tease a little back and forth. The following week, again, no mention of Scott Hall, no mention of his previous appearances. They don't give it any kind of talk until he shows up again at the end of the show, along with the reveal of Kevin Nash. And they say like, hey, you go tell Beerly Ted to get his three best guys to come against us and we'll settle this war once and for all. And Eric Bischoff's like, I can't give you an answer now. I've been thinking about it. But like, we got the Great American Bash pay-per-view coming up. You show up there, I'll give you your answer. But this whole interrupting me has got to stop. Um, so the that's the go-home Nitro before mm -hmm. Great American Bash. Great American Bash, Bischoff comes out and says, you will have your match. It's going to be a three-on-three -three match. Um, you two, and you get a third, and because Hall and Nash are teasing a third man. They're not saying who he is. They're saying, we got another guy. And so Bischoff says, it'll be a three-on-three -three match. And, you know, you're three guys against WCW's best three guys. And that'll be it. And then Hall and Nash powerbomb Bischoff off stage through the table. Yeah, it's vicious. And it's vicious. And they actually sold it, too. Because the following night on Nitro, there was no Eric Bischoff at commentary. And they were saying he's still recovering. Yep. So he wasn't on commentary the entire show. Meanwhile, yep. Mean Gene Oakland, the late great Mean Gene Oakland, comes out mm -hmm. and announces that basically they took the top six wrestlers uh, based on record, which in wrestling they never really refer to your record until it's convenient. Uh, the streak of Goldberg. You know, oh, they're like, yeah. yeah, he hasn't actually lost. Well, how many has he actually won? Uh, maybe eight matches. Okay, next time we'll say he's won 17. Okay, <laughs> the next one we'll say he's won 50 and 0. Mm -hmm. like, wait a minute, last week he was 17 and 0. This week he's 50? Like, how many matches did he have in one week? Right. And before you know it, three months go by and he's 173 and 0. And, yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, and those top six they announced were Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, The Giant, Macho Man Randy Savage, Lex Luger, and Sting. And out of those six people, the three that were chosen was Lex Luger, Sting, and Macho Man Randy Savage. Um, and this episode is very important. This is an episode of Nitro. June 17, 1996. This is the first Nitro that ever beat in the ratings an episode of Raw. Mm, oof. This is the first time. Raw drew a 2.3 rating. Nitro drew a 3.4 uh, rating. 
and nitro would continue to be raw for 84 weeks straight. Mm. That was the first time, and it would be a long time before they gave up that up. So clearly, this whole buildup of these two guys is working. Yeah. Um, and it's around this time, secretly behind the scenes, Vince uh, McMahon is seeing all this, and they're like, to sell the fact that they're outsiders, they basically, Hall and Nash were basically in their Diesel and Razor Ramon characters. Scott Hall was still talking in his Scarface, you know, Cuban accent mm-hmm. thing. He was still doing all his same things. He even used some of the same phrases. Um, yeah. And they were just so you could be like, oh, those are the same guys. Um, and they called them by Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. They called them these outsiders so that they could sell the idea that, like, they don't belong here. We're not signed with WCW. Right. Um, Vince McMahon sent them here. Well, Vince McMahon is sitting there seeing this, and he's like, you're infringing on our property. Mm-hmm. And so he sues WCW, he sues Ted Turner for stealing their copyright. Um, so around this time, there's an interview at some point where Hall and Nash have to announce that, like, Eric Bischoff says, like, actually, I think this is at Bash of the Beach later on when the whole thing comes to a head. He asked them in an interview at the beginning of the show, are you contracted with the WWF? And they say no. And this whole thing has been about, like, we're going to take it to WCW and now, because of this lawsuit, all of a sudden, Hall and Nash are like, eh, this isn't about the past. This is about the future, man. And <laughs> because a judge said so. Um, yep. But they were still allowed to, they didn't get hit with anything. They just had to make it very clear that they're not working for WWF. So mm-hmm. they kind of took that part out. But you still bought the idea of these two are not supposed to be here. Right. Uh, but by then, they've kind of built everything up so well. You know, they have they have a nitro where they come out and with baseball bats, and they interrupt a tag team match. Uh, Sting and Luger are tag team champions, uh, and they're in a match between them, uh, the Steiners, and Harlem Heat. And in the craziness of them trying to invade, Harlem Heat does a roll-up. They become tag team champions. Meanwhile, there are cops who are in the ring to keep Hall and Nash outside of the ring. <laughs> this is crazy. I watched the episode again. They do a close-up on one of the cops going for his gun. That's right. That was my reaction. And the commentators pointed it out. Like, as a way to say, like, this is really serious business. But are we really supposed to think on live television a cop would think seriously about shooting a man armed many feet away outside a ring on a lower playing field with a an aluminum baseball bat? Yeah. Like, are we really supposed to believe that? But a lot of people do. So who, uh, am, I to, who am I to judge it? Oh. Um, the following Nitro is very funny because Hall and Nash appear, but this time they sit in the front row because they say, we bought tickets. And so they sit ringside for about 45 minutes, and they keep cutting to them, like, they're, they're plotting something. And they keep teasing, like, who is this third man of theirs? That'll be someone. Who is it? 
Um, and in in the buildup, you know, Lex Luger and and Macho Man are kind of in this confrontation with Sting. They're like, I don't know, like, can we trust you? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they get to Bash at the Beach. Um, it's in Baltimore. It's in July. And the match starts, and the outsiders come out, and they don't have their third man. And they're asked, where's the third man of yours? And they're like, hey, Mang, as Scott Hall says in his Cuban <laughs> accent, hey, Mang, he, he here, but, you know, we're more than enough to take care of these guys. But he's here. That's all you need to know. Uh, and they start the match. And they're like, well, I mean, it's clear advantage WCW. And the match starts kind of fine, but then there kind of gets this tussle. Chaos ensues. Nash has Lex Luger in the corner, kind of held against uh, the post. And then Sting comes to try and break it up. He can't really see where Luger is very well. He does a stinger splash. He takes out Nash, but then Luger hits his head on the thing and he falls to the floor and doesn't move and so they sell this like he got knocked out sting inadvertently got knocked out luger so now in the back of your head you're like they don't trust luger but they don't trust sting and now sting inadvertently knocked out their advantage so they're teasing sting and originally sting was the first uh choice um the Outsiders start to wear down WCW. Um, and then there's a big move and all, everyone's out in, you know, on, on their back in, in the arena. Then Hulk Hogan comes out. No music, no nothing. He comes out, he's pointed to the ring. And everyone's like, he's come here to save WCW. He hasn't appeared on TV or pay-per-view in you know, two or three months. So he's back and they're like, Hulk Hogan is, ba- is back? He's back to stand up for WCW. He goes mm-hmm. in, Macho Man's on the ground, his brother, and he gives him, he first, he clears out the arena, he pulls his shirt apart, and, you know, and on commentary this night is Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and Dusty Rhodes. Bobby Heenan, as Hogan is entering, says, but whose side is he on? Totally spoiling it. Now, it's saved by Dusty Rhodes, who's like, what do you mean, whose side is he on? Yeah. And Bobby Heenan, traditional Bobby Heenan, is like, I don't, the point is, I don't trust anybody. I don't trust you. I don't trust, and to his credit, like, yeah. before the match started, he was like, the third man can be anybody. The third man, for all I know, Dusty, you're the third man. He's like, are you crazy? He's like, yeah. no, I'm just saying, you can't trust anybody. Yeah. Um, but... Bobby- Bobby Heenan. It's Bobby Heenan being Bobby. Um, but eventually he's like, oh, he is coming out to be on our side. And, you know, Dusty Rhodes is selling it. He's like, go get him, Hulkster. Go get him, baby. And he leg drops Macho Man. Yeah. And they're like, oh, my God. And chaos ensues. And... He, he reveals himself. He is the third man. They, they tear up garbage from the crowd. And this was legit at the time. 
the crowd started throwing trash and everything into the arena. Mm -hmm. And Mean Gene went in there for an interview. And, you know, Hogan basically said, why, Hogan, why? And he was like, hey, big, big billionaire Ted said, uh, he promised me money. He promised me movies. He promised me quality matches. But, he, but I'm not satisfied. I'm big. And he, and he says, I made that big company up north what they are. I made them billionaires up there. I made them, I gave them so much money. And I come down here, WCW, I am bigger than WCW. I am bigger than WWF. I'm bigger than wrestling. And, and then he dubs, he's like, and he's like, everyone's wondering who these two guys from up north, who let them in? Who do you think? Who knows more about that organization than me? And he says, you can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. And thus was born the NWO, the new world order. And the, 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 um, they, he does another interview the next night on Nitro where, you know, he says he's going to return and he puts over Kevin Nash, he puts over Scott Hall, and he runs down WCW. People are booing him, throwing things at him. Mm -hmm. And just in one night, over the course of two months, you build up this mystery of who is this third man coming to disrupt WCW. And you get the good guy, the ultimate good guy of good guys. You, I mean, there gets no bigger like goody two shoes than Hulk Hogan. And then it turns out he's the bad guy. And this yep. accomplished two things. One, big surprise, big twist. Now everyone's going to watch the next Nitro. Yep. Um, but it, it gives a revitalization to his career. But also the crowd was booing him anyway. Now they have permission to boo him. Yeah. They didn't like him before. Now they really don't like him for a couple months. And then they're like, oh, bad guy Hulk Hogan is cool. Now we're going to cheer him. For, yeah. You know, because wrestling fans. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, turn Roman Reigns heel. Why? So you can cheer him in like a month after he turned heel, thus negating his success as a heel. Right. Like, come on. Um, anyway, but, and I chose this storyline. I kind of went more in depth than I wanted to. But, um. It's just so interesting to me. The whole planning of this is perfect. You have these two guys, very well-known, very like spot-on gimmicks. You can spot them a mile away. They tease it really well. It's kind of an out-of-the-blue, like, where did this come from thing? And it, it, it the iron, they strike while the iron's hot. They, they don't let it go a couple of months or a year. They let it go a month. They're causing havoc every week. And then they're like, we, we just, we got to stop this. And it ends when they lose. WCW loses. The NWO yep. wins. And now they are running roughshod over the entire company. And all of a sudden, the must-watch TV in wrestling was WCW. You, there was nothing in WWF at the time that could come close to getting this kind of 
like hot attention. And it's, it's interesting, like I was thinking about, and we can segue this to the end um, for ending here. Cause I, I already think I know who I, which story I think is the better story. Um, because th th this, this moment in time has impacted, no, no, no pun intended, um, <laughs> wrestling so much that whenever a company is in dire need of like a ratings boost or, um, mm -hmm. you know, getting people to watch their, they, they always try an NWO type story. Yes. Or something like it. A Hogan, you know, anytime there's a, a there's a baby face who's just not connecting, they're like, we need to turn him heel like Hulk Hogan. Then people yeah. will. Yeah. You know. It's the same thing they did with The Rock. It's they either reference Hulk Hogan or they mentioned The Rock. Because The Rock came in as a baby face, everyone booed him, they turned him heel, all of a sudden people started liking him. Mm -hmm. Um so, but they never do it right because I think at that point, you could only do it in that point in time, I think. Yeah. Because you had enough eyes on the product to have people, even the smartest people, think this could be really happening. Yes. That these two guys are going rogue and this is not supposed to be happening in WCW. Um, and yeah, it kind of didn't matter if, when it was all said and done, you realized that you had worked because at the end of it, the three guys together, they're so cool, you don't care. Um, and and the, it's, it's, so it happens so quickly. Like, I, 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 you know, you watch documentaries about it and you think, oh, this happened over the course of a couple months. But when you actually go back and look, it's a couple of minutes on each, on like a few nitros and then one pay-per-view and then boom, there's the MWO. Mm -hmm. like ready to go and yeah. like it's incredible that you can do so much with so little in wrestling um the negative side is they set this up so beautifully they didn't yep. really know where to go with it now nope. original idea was he wanted to build up the nwo and then wcw and he wanted to have these two shows the nwo and WCW, and he wanted them to go at war with him, which is essentially what Vince McMahon has ended up doing with Raw and SmackDown. Yes. Two very distinctive brands that every once in a while, when he needs ratings, go to war against one another and creates a fake, you know, company um, or war competition. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but that was originally Eric Bischoff's idea with this. Um, didn't really pan out. Um, they started adding too many people to the NWO. Had they kept the NWOs, just those original three guys, you know, you know, X-Pac yep. came in, the one, two, three kid came in. He was one of the first like real members to join. He was one of the first like real, like third party members. That's what X-Pac does best. He joins groups. Yeah. That's what he does. Yeah. <laughs> um, and but but they should have kept it to a very small number. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like the four horsemen worked for so long because there was just four of them. There's four right. of them. And they held all the titles specifically to build up the faces 
so that they could lose the titles. The bad guy does not hold the title because they don't hold the title. They hold the title so that they don't hold it because they're so good. They hold it so that the baby face can beat them and get it from them. Yeah. The problem was they wanted to build up the NWO so much that they ended up having no one who could legit come against them. And whenever they did, they cut their legs out from underneath. You know, they built up Sting. Sting came back in his crow outfit. Um, you know, he was, they teased him. And yeah. then Hogan got kind of feeling like Sting wasn't ready. And so he pulled his creative control card and he didn't lose. Like he lost, but he didn't lose. Uh, he loses to Goldberg and he gives it to Goldberg. Okay, the one guy, the one new guy that they're building up for WCW. Go against the NWO. But then it doesn't matter because the NWO splits up and now there's this wolf pack that's uh, NWO yeah. black and red. There's the NWO black and white. There's the LWO, which Eddie Guerrero starts. Um, there's the BWO in uh, the Blue World Order over in uh, ECW, which is a parody. Uh, <laughs> um, and so Goldberg being champ kind of doesn't matter, really. And then he gets hit, beaten anyway by Kevin Nash um, via Scott Hall intervening with the taser. And yeah. then the very next night goes up against a returning Hulk Hogan uh, who he lays down for and just hands him the title, um, That's... reforming the NWO. And then mm -hmm. now all of a sudden it's back to NWO running everything. And there's no opposition. There's no conflict. Um, deep, but the initial story of the building up and the debut and the turn is so perfect. What defeats it for me and what makes your storyline the 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 mega powers exploding better in my opinion is they hadn't they had an idea of where they wanted to go with it. they had an endpoint they had thought yeah. about it from beginning to end you know it's all i mean any good story you start at the end where are we how are we going to end and then you work yourself backwards how do we get there that's what they did eric bischoff and wcw and nwo they start they had a great idea for a beginning but they kind of didn't work, and they had an idea where they wanted to head, but they didn't work out the end point. You yeah. Know? So they kind of made it up as they went along, which is, you know, that's fine if you're Stephen King, but we're not all Stephen King. No. You know, so it's better to plot it out and know what you're going to end with. Yeah, though, and yeah, it's such a shame, especially because of how well they built up Sting's character. Yeah, they they turned his career around really well because he was going the way of Hulk Hogan too. Yeah, because um, people were starting to be bored with him. Right. Yeah, that's perfectly a perfect waste of a, a great story when they don't trust him to when he you know disappears, goes into exile, and comes back, and yeah. he again. You don't this unpredictability, and it's what I like about the NWO storyline as well, is this playing with the fourth wall with reality, that yeah. really messing with the audience, going, "Hey, this is really happening," and that's yeah. what was really good. But okay, you grabbed me, 
but then you don't know what to do with it. And then yeah. it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, because then you leave the audience hanging. In my opinion, NWO should have just been like a, like a short term, like let it run for a year or two and then cut it out. Right. You know, use it to build new stars. The problem was everyone they brought into the NWO was already a star. And all the new guys were jobbing out to them because they weren't NWO. Um, you know, the only real big stars that became like bigger stars because of the NWO was actually the only one I can think of is uh, Scott, uh, uh, not Scott Hall, but Scott Steiner. Right. With the aid of, you know, performance enhancing drugs. Where? Uh, where? What? You think those giant boulders attached to his arms weren't done by, you know, training and vitamins? I, I hate to tell you, he took more than vitamins. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. I believe he had, I believe he uh, had the same nutritionist as Barry Bonds. And oh. Yeah, his, maybe maybe he didn't know it. Maybe it was like, oh, I was told it was like an ointment or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah, Scott Steiner's stable team was called the Cream and the Clear. <laughs> Boy, um, but yeah, the NWO didn't make anyone. Like when you go over the great stables, like the great modern one, I think of is Evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah that Triple H started because one, he wanted to, he felt like they had Ric Flair under contract but weren't doing anything with him. And he wanted, he liked Ric Flair. He's a big Ric Flair fan. He was a friend and he felt like Rick needed it personally to kind of jolt himself back into self-confidence. So he started a stable with him and then he was like, we need new guys who when this is all over are hopefully two big stars. And that ended up being Dave Batista, who's now, you know, huge movie star. Yep. And Randy Orton, who has been a mainstay for a really long time. Yeah. And has outlasted so many people and is a great go-to guy for, you know, you want a, a good, decent match, put Randy Orton in it. He'll make it interesting. Yeah, Randy Orton is a safe bet. Every when, time. when he cares, when he's with some... He, you put him with someone who's a high flyer or is really acrobatic, he will put on an amazing match. He loves working with those guys, you know, because he can do so many great things. And more importantly, he can have them do really amazing things that go into RKOs out of nowhere that just blow your mind. Um, but that's what a stable should do. And the NWO didn't really do that with anyone. They, I mean, it was at one point it was nothing but old WWF guys. Oh. And when I say old, I mean old, like yeah. Macho Man. He became NWO. Lex Luger, the two of the three people who were fighting against them in the beginning of their arrival, Lex Luger and uh, Macho Man, became end members of the NWO. And then later, Sting joined the NWO Wolfpack. Because Which, I, I guess, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> because we yeah. wanted them to have red and black makeup so we can sell different shirts. 
Uh, and yeah. so it it became a thing where like, okay, is just everyone in the NWO? And at that point, they started losing all their hot prospects. You know, Chris Jericho left. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, Harry Saturn, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, and another guy uh, yeah, the, left. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He who must not be named. He who must not be. You know who. Uh, yeah, they left, and all of a sudden now, they got these big top card guys but they got no one to fill the card beneath them. So you have just nuts. And, and the story, what started as a very realistic storyline as the NWO became so bloated uh, with people and storylines became over the top. It became the antithesis of what it started as. And which is really weird, the success of WCW starting as like, hey, we need to be more realistic. They ended up somehow losing their way. And at the end of WCW, they were so over that they went backwards. All of a sudden they were in the 80s. Yeah. But like the bad part of the 80s, like the end of the 80s, early 90s, where like, you know, hey, we got a wrestler who's the demon from Kiss because and we got this character who's a vampire because vampires i guess (laughs) i don't know anyway um so i think we can declare a winner i think i think i think i think if handled well the nwo type storyline can work well in short term but the things that are really going to keep a company going that are going to keep wrestling going are better long-term storylines like the mega powers explode where you really take your time with something you need both mm-hmm. um but i think the thing that produces better moments and that last longer that don't come with addendums like like mine like the nwo had great moments but it also comes with the but then they did this yeah. Mega Powers Explode is just contained thing that you can say, this was amazing, and that's all I can say about it. And you just live through it and you rewatch it. And there's no like, oh, but then they did this. That wasn't very good. Oh, but then they did this. You know, once the storyline was over, they all kind of went their different ways, and you can say what you want. But I think I think that one's the best form of storytelling that I think wrestling does really well yeah i yeah i agree you took the words out of my mouth i was going to say that as uh, as much as i do like the nwo story just the the legacy of it is just a group of people in weird colors oh yeah Yeah. absolutely it ends up looking like the the bar scene out of star wars and you don't know what's going on (laughs) yeah yeah you think hold it's supposed to be wrestling and it just becomes this big weird circus of you know just people throwing trash into the, into the ring yeah. uh and yelling for some reason and then oh and so many so many this is my worst thing about wcw is so many screw finishes that yeah. it was like every single finish was a dq or 
you know, there's a, we can go on and on about this, but there's a great book out there called The Death of WCW um, by Brian Alvarez, who uh, I have my issues with, but uh, it's a great book. And he goes well into detail about basically the beginnings of WCW, kind of highlights everything until the 90s, and then kind of really goes into detail of when WCW huge success and how it very quickly almost overnight fails into bankruptcy and there are all these moments where he just goes over the main event of each nitro of every week for like and he's like it ended in a dq it ended in a no contest it ended in a dq it ended in a like if you're a fan and every week you're turning in and the main event of the tv show you're watching is ending the same eventually you're going to turn off and they did they turned off because at the same time they were doing nwo and building up nwo wwf actually had austin stone cold steve austin winning the the king of the ring yeah where he did his famous austin 316 thing and which over the next year pushed him to being Stone Cold Steve Austin, which pushed, and then he became popular enough to where they had to turn him. So they did the great WrestleMania hit with him, uh, submission match with him and Bret Hart, where mm-hmm. they did the double, uh, the, the double turn where Bret Hart became the bad guy at the end of the match. Stone Cold became the good guy. And then that would go on to make WWF the winner of the Monday Night Wars. But you know, WCW is just all about now. What are the ratings for tomorrow? Yep. And that was their, you know, and that's really for any good storytelling. And any, any, you know, you see movie studios make the same mistake. Like, I don't know, I'll just pick one random out of my hat. Uh, Lucasfilm. How about that? You know, you're like, <laughs> instead of saying like, okay, we're going to plan three movies here. Um, where is it going to start? Where is it going to end? Let's take our time with it. Instead of doing that, you know, it's as if they went out and been like, uh, you, you make a movie. Okay, oh, um, oh, the audience didn't, I don't know, do whatever you want. Okay, people loved it. Oh, but some people over here said it was too much like the other ones. Okay, you make a movie. Do whatever you want with it, but make it not so much like the other ones. Make it really new. Okay. Oh, wait, they didn't like that. Okay, uh, ooh. Uh, you, you, JJ, you come back. You make a movie, but played it. Now, just I don't know. Just make it. Okay, great. We made a million. We made millions and millions of dollars. Everyone loves us. Well, sure, you made millions of dollars, but are they gonna stay loyal to you as the years go on? When you come out tomorrow and are like, "Hey, we got a new thing," are they gonna care that you have a new thing? And that's ultimately where it goes wrong with any company or brand of entertainment. Like you can't just think about how are they going to react to this right now? You got to think about what is this going to do overall? You know, will they come back? Which for me, I always think about, is this going to make you want to come back? You know, Mm -hmm. but anyway, um, we have talked for a really long time. Uh, (laughs) And I got to go relieve my wife, uh, who's uh, doing a good job of uh, watching our 
uh, crazy child. Um, uh, Sam, any final thoughts? Um, I can't think of anything else other than I, yeah, I totally agree with you about the NWO. Is, um, it was a great uh, walk back through memory lane and uh, I look forward to doing it with this uh, with you again. All right. Um, all right. Until next time, everyone. Uh, I got to think of a closeout line here. <laughs> well, this is live, everyone. Uh, this is live television. Um, and by live, I mean pre-recorded. And by television, I mean internet audio only. Um, mm -hmm. Anything could happen. Um, yep. We will be back at some point. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening. <laughs>